opened your Bibles to Galatians and to chapter 1. And if you have your Bible with you tonight, you're in a good spot because we're going to be looking and looking at different verses tonight. And um, if you have someone near you that has one, that would be great as well. Just to keep an eye on where we're going Galatians chapter 1, and uh, reading from verse 11 to verse 24. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor... Was I taught it? Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart, by his grace, uh, sorry, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. When um, I expect something to be real and it's fake, sometimes it's very unnerving for me. You know, it feels weird when you think something's going to be real, but it's not. I went and had coffee at Yak and Danda the other day, and I was walking down the main street, and out of the corner of my eye, I was sure that there was someone sitting at a table having a coffee. But it was just a fake person with a fake cup of coffee sitting right there. And it was unnerving. I I just felt there's someone right there. And as I looked, it was just all something fake, all made up to make it look like someone was sitting at the front of the shop. You know what I'm talking about, you yakking down to people? You ever seen that? Yeah, good. I I remember being in spirituality class uh, at Bible college. And uh, one lady who was talking about her time when she was on a retreat and she was sitting next to a fire and feeling its warmth in the cold, and she shared with us students, almost with tears in her eyes, that she was sitting there enjoying the fire's warmth when suddenly she realised it was a fake fire. 
we all sort of thought it was a bit funny that she would get so upset by that. But she was saying, it looked like a fire. It felt like a fire. But then I realised it was just flames and gas and I felt so ripped off. Big deal for her. Uh, We thought it was quite amusing. (laughs) But sometimes when you get something and you think it's the real thing and it's not, it can be really upsetting. My parents came back from... China, and I said, oh, get us, if you can get us an iPod while you're over there, that would be great. Dad said, look, they're really cheap over here, it's great. And he came back and he gave me, an, uh, not an iPod, but an MP3 player with all Chinese writing all over it. <laughs> and uh, I tried to figure it out, and it took me ages to like, convert songs over so that they could be understood in my um, you know, iTunes sort of thing. And after ages and ages, I just dropped it by mistake. And that was the end of that cheap imitation iPod. And uh, when something's not real, it can be a bit disturbing. I wonder whether you've ever come across something that you expected to be real and being disappointed when you realised it was fake. Maybe for you it's a birthday cake with fake cream that you thought was real. But maybe... There's some other times when whether something's real or not isn't just a matter of choice, but it can be a matter of life or death. Like imagine taking a tablet that you thought would make you well, but it actually isn't the right tablet. Worse than that, imagine the gospel. A gospel that you thought was the gospel that God wanted us to know the good news of Jesus Christ, and you put your faith and trust in it only to find that the gospel you believed in wasn't the real gospel. It was a fake. Can you imagine the, um, the horror of that? When we look at Galatians and we open it up tonight, what we see is Paul being accused of preaching a gospel that is not true. And as he starts to defend the gospel that he is preaching, I think what we kind of do is we'll we'll pull out a few things that we think we should really look at to ensure that the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that we live by, always stays true. Paul is flat out here trying to show the Galatian, the church in Galatia that the gospel that he preaches is true and real. Um, Paul's readers were people who had heard with faith Paul's preaching. Uh, he'd preached the gospel to them and as a result they received the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And they witnessed miracles among them. If you have Galatians open, why don't you just quickly look across to chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It says there, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one more thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? 
or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish that after being with, after beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? They had believed the preaching about Jesus crucified. They'd received the Spirit. They'd seen miracles. But more recently, they'd come to believe that if they wanted to be true children of of Abraham, to be inheritors of his promises, if in short they were to be the children of God, then they must be circumcised as well as believing in Jesus Christ. Look at Uh, chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So it's pretty clear from from this verse that they weren't thinking that you had to obey the whole law, but that what they were thinking was that they had to obey the law of circumcision And Paul was trying to put out, hey, if you're going to bring back all the laws, then you're going to have to live according to the whole lot of them. And not only that, people were teaching them that they not only should be circumcised, but they also had to observe certain months and days and seasons and years. Look at verse 4, chapter 4, and verses 10 to 11. It says... You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, Paul says, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul is really concerned that they are not being taught the true gospel. And Paul, it seems, believed that Gentile Christians had accepted a view that to be truly saved, to be truly amongst God's people, they needed to add to their faith in Christ, circumcision and ongoing seasons, and that the law was to have an ongoing role as believers in their their lives. This is understandable because initially Jewish people were the first to hear the gospel. And they didn't so much change all the habits that they were already involved when they came to know Christ. But Gentile people who were not part of the Jewish faith were now being expected not only to come to know Jesus, but to also take on all the outward signs of faith from the Jewish religion. And there were troublemakers in the church in Galatia And these troublemakers had persuaded Christians to accept another gospel. Galatians 1, verse 6, Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And this different gospel which added these extra demands is what they were following. Their message seems to be one which added legalism to their faith and it also added to them that they 
weren't only to depend upon Jesus Christ by faith, but they had to depend on the law as well. And Paul uh, is very upset. I'm astonished, he says. Uh, And in these verses here, he's responding to, it seems, an attack by the Judaizers. They're the people that were in the church trying to get people, the troublemakers. And because they had started to undermine Paul in a number of ways. And two main ways that they'd started to undermine Paul was by saying this, Paul, he's not really an apostle. He's not really a true apostle. So therefore, we don't need to listen to him. And the other way they were trying to undermine him was by saying that the gospel that he's preaching is not one that he received from Jesus, from God himself, but it was one that he received from the apostles. Like he kind of went to the apostles and found out all the things that he needed to know and then he shared it with them. He's not a true apostle and the gospel he's preaching is not true. Seems that the reason they were doing this was to try and win favour with those in Galatia and also to undermine what Paul had taught there. They actually said about Paul's teaching was that he had gone to Jerusalem and he'd learnt all the gospel from them, but now he's coming back and he's dropping out parts of it. Like he's not teaching them about circumcision. And some of the accusations, it it seems, is that he's preaching the gospel, but he's watering it down because he's wanting to avoid conflict and just please them by leaving out the difficult parts. They're strong criticisms. Look what it says in Galatians 5 and verse 11. It says here, Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. And so he's saying, if you think I'm preaching circumcision elsewhere, you've got it wrong. I'm not preaching it anywhere because the cross replaces circumcision. And he says, in the face of these criticisms that he's facing, in the context of all that is happening, he now wants to convince his readers that he is an apostle. And in last week we saw Andrew Marguson did a great message. And in that we saw how Paul starts off, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He starts off this letter acclaiming his apostleship. And now in this passage, he's going to spend his time defending the second criticism, that the gospel that he preaches is not real. And let's look at how he does that, because it gives us some insight in what we need to look for as we proclaim the gospel and as we live today. It says in Verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Here, in order to prove that the gospel that he speaks is from God, he seeks to show that it is true. It came directly from God. Paul was travelling on the road to Damascus and he came face to face with the risen Jesus. He turned his life around. And, And Paul is saying here, this is not something that I made up. It's not something I just thought about and it came out of midair. It's not something that I got from any other man, but I received it from Jesus Christ. I think the first thing we need to think about when we're thinking about whether we're preaching a real, true gospel is does it come from God? Does it come from Jesus? The way in which apostles were uh, were appointed and, and named apostles was that they had been with Jesus. They'd witnessed his ministry. They'd heard his teachings and they were sent ones. And Paul claims his apostleship because he has had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And he had met with him and his gospel that he preaches comes directly from Christ and therefore we should affirm it. Does the gospel that you believe and teach come straight from God's word? Does it come straight out of the pages of the Bible? Does it come from God? That's the first thing that we must always consider when we're thinking about whether the gospel we have is real. Paul then talks about a life-transforming encounter that he had, and I think he shows this. Does the gospel we preach bring about real life change? Look what he says. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. The word here, um, intensely persecuted in the Greek, means to utterly ransack a city. To to just go in and and level it and plunder everything out of that city. And, And here Paul is saying that he had tried to utterly destroy the Christian faith. He was set out to destroy it. It says here in his life, Paul showed that he was violent towards the church, that he was savage towards it. He went from house to house seeking to destroy to destroy people who were believing. He, wanted, he dragged men and women out of their homes and took them in order to take them to prison. And many were thrown in prison. When Christians were put to death, Paul was there casting the vote and saying, yes, this one should die. He was determined in any way that he could to stamp out the gospel. But then all of a sudden... An encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and his life is completely turned around. His life is transformed and Paul goes from from persecutor of the church to preacher of the gospel. His life is completely transformed and as we look at that and we think, how on earth could one who so much hated something be so completely flipped around? 
You know, I think we're seeing that the gospel, that encounters with Jesus Christ through faith turns lives around completely. And here's Paul on a journey to destroy, is taken by God and put on a journey to preach. Not only that, but he was fanatic for the law. Look what it says in verse 14. He, it says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of, my, of Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. He was fanatical in his enthusiasm for Jewish traditions. Ever from the time that he was growing up, he was brought up according to the strictest Jewish party. He was trained as a Pharisee. And so he lived his life trying to obey and with zeal to fulfil the law. And yet, someone who was doing all that he can to be the best Jewish person that he could, a Pharisee in regards to the law, on the road to Damascus, met with the risen Christ and his life was transformed. And instead of now trusting in the law for salvation, Paul's trust is in Jesus Christ for salvation. He would write, for it is by Grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. You know, seeing changed lives has had an impact on many people's lives when it comes to believing the gospel. I know for me, when I was just 14, I noticed my brother's change in his life. And that helped me see that Christ was making a difference in his life. And that's what attracted me to him. Uh, Mason Taylor, he shared yesterday at the men's breakfast about how once people wanted parents to keep away from Mason, (laughs) but he met with the risen Christ, he came to know Jesus. And now there are times when parents ring him up to spend time with their kids. What a transformation. I, I was... Uh, talking today to Sandro after church and he was telling me how uh, someone was ringing him about uh, some, a, a speaker that they'd asked to speak in their church and they were saying, that man that you've got in your church is terrible, he's, he's against God, he's, he's a terrible person and Sandro could tell just by the horrible way they were talking to him that this person really is not a loving, godly person. Their life was speaking of accusation and hatred and slander and even the language they used was horrible. That was a clear testimony that this person doesn't seem to grasp the gospel. Transformed lives clearly show that we have, our faith is on believing in a true gospel. Is it from God? Does it transform lives from legalism to grace? Does it transform lives from hatred to love? Not only that, Paul, in the next rest of this passage, wants to clearly show that what he was preaching did not 
come from man. It came from God. And so look at these verses here in verses 15 to 17. He wants to show that after his conversion on the road to Damascus, he didn't make an immediate visit to Jerusalem after his conversion to try and you know, get all the details from the apostles. Look what it says. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Paul's saying here that when he was on the road to Damascus, when he encountered Christ, he was called by him to preach him among the Gentiles. He had a specific call. And he didn't go straight away and, and consult. He, went, or he didn't go to any other people, but he, but he rather went to Arabia and then to Damascus. And by saying this, Paul's emphasising the fact that he had a commission, a calling to preach Christ among the Gentiles. He, he had a calling to go into this new territory. And he didn't receive that calling from other people. He received it from Christ. And he didn't have to have it explained to him by others. It came from God. Up until this time, it seems that the Gentiles were not included. But God was doing something new and he used Paul to share the gospel with them. Then Paul goes on to say, well, not only was there no immediate visit to Jerusalem, but finally the purpose of the visit after three years was not to get all the gospel and find out all the news about what the gospel should be from Jerusalem. No, he didn't go there later on. Look what it says here. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that before before God, that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of him. What he's trying to say is, I only went for for 15 days. That's not enough after three years of being away to hear and be taught all about the gospel or to receive it from them. But I went to visit and to meet with them and to get to know people like Peter. And he was acknowledging that he went. And then he made his visit to get to know them. Not so that it could be interpreted by them or approved by them, but so that they could talk together about the gospel. All this Paul's trying to say is to encourage them that the gospel that he preached is true. And for these Gentile peoples, it would make all the difference. They would not have to observe certain kinds of laws. 
They would not have to live a legalistic faith, but they could be free to have faith in Christ alone. Sola fide, which Martin Luther made so, um, was his catch cry, was his call at the Reformation. Rather than having to work and to earn our salvation, salvation comes through faith alone. Paul was saying there's nothing more abhorrent than a false gospel. And the Galatians should not add to their faith more laws, more uh, things that they needed to fulfill, but to put their faith in Jesus Christ and live for him. And when we do that, church, what we start to do is find that we desire to do his will and to obey him. And we live a life that seeks to follow him, not because we want to be saved, but because we already are. Paul would say, this is the gospel, and there must be no other gospel. And this is what he would give his life to, so that many would come to know him. Tonight, the question I want to leave leave with you tonight is, are you adding to the gospel? Are you trying to think that by actually reading a certain amount of chapters, God's going to be pleased with you? By dressing in a certain way that God's going to be more pleased with you? Uh, By doing kind of certain things will help you earn his favour? Well, tonight Paul would say, don't add to that. Don't add to the gospel. All around there are different kind of... uh, people claiming to have truth around us, but adding to the gospel. There are Jehovah's Witnesses that will tell you that being saved by faith alone in Christ is not enough. There are even churches that claim to know the name of Christ and to proclaim him that we've heard reports about just on TV just in the last few weeks that determine who you can marry and who you can't marry and where you, you know, how you must work out your faith and take a controlling, domineering approach to faith. Stay strong, church. Don't ever respond to man-made additions to the gospel. Look to Jesus and his death on the cross for your forgiveness of sin. Look to Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross so that he can take your place, that his death paid the price that you deserve to pray. And live every day with your eyes fixed on him, knowing that it's only through him that you can be saved. Let's pray together. God, tonight, we just want to thank you that this church is a church that have clearly put you, Lord Jesus, as our head. In Christ alone, our hope is found. God, our eyes are clearly fixed on you.
through faith in Jesus. Help us to always preach and teach a gospel that there is freedom in Christ, there is hope in you. And build your church, Lord, as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.